Welcome to episode five of the Agree to Disagree podcast with Phil and Ethan, a weekly podcast on New Center, Maine from now through Election Day. Well, Strim, we are officially in the dog days of summer. Tell me, are you getting outside at all? In this heat? No thanks. I'd rather sit in my apartment and follow all the social media postings about Maine politics. Well, you are a weird duck. But thankfully for the rest of us, some of us is paying attention. I assume that means you found a few juicy topics for us to discuss this week. I sure did, buddy. We're going to be talking about um, all kinds of stuff going around. We're going to be looking at uh, the budget deficit of $1.4 billion, what Portland should do about the homeless encampment, how Maine should handle the spike in COVID cases. We're also going to play a little love it, hate it, wake me when it's over uh, in regard to Donald Trump tweeting an endorsement of Dale Kraft, Sarah Gideon, getting millions in dark money, all kinds of fun stuff. Plus, Schoolsy tells us how I did on the hot seat for last week's Nailed It or Failed It. Mm, you're going to put me on the hot seat this week, buddy? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Schoolsy, start us off. As Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly opened the debate. Dark money versus corporate money. Sarah Gideon has had more dark money spent on her behalf than any candidate in Maine history, Ethan. At the same time, she's complaining about the fully transparent corporate donations Susan Collins has received. Strim, is this a case of the kettle calling the pot black? Well, look, you know, those corporate contributions that you consider uh, transparent and legit, while certainly legal, these are some of the biggest corporations in America who uh, recognize that they haven't had to pay to some of the uh, bills that Senator Collins has voted for. Not to mention, look, you know, I mean, she has unfortunately been one of the biggest opponents of the disclosure laws to try to keep dark money uh, in uh, in check to try to make sure that people know where it's coming from. So Susan Collins is going to start complaining about dark money coming into the state, of which she's gotten $4 million in support for her, by the way. But she can't very well with a straight face be complaining about dark money when she's done absolutely nothing in 20 years to try to actually control dark money. In fact, just the opposite. Isn't it interesting that everybody in public office talks about the big money in politics, but no one does anything about it? You would think that Sarah Gideon wanting to set a new tone for Washington would be the poster child for getting rid of dark money, corporate money. And in fact, she's claiming, Ethan, that she's not taking any PAC money. However, she's taken plenty of PAC money through her own political action committee as Speaker of the House in Maine, and she's happy to take all of the PAC money coming through Senator Schumer's PAC in Washington. Wow, no wonder people have had enough already with this campaign. Well, look, she's not taking any PAC money. Let's be clear about that. Are other PACs supporting? Sure, but Susan Collins has gotten more PAC money, more corporate PAC money, uh, than any candidate in Maine history. So let's not try to pretend. Look, look, you and I both, we're going to agree. These rules don't work. Let's change them. Susan Collins has been there for 20 years, has done nothing about it. In fact, put people on the Supreme Court who have made it easier for dark money to flow. It's time for Susan Collins 
uh, people who aren't willing to do anything about it to not be there anymore and bring in somebody who actually will. And I would assume you would extend that same attitude towards Representative Pingree, who used to run Common Cause, by the way, to get money out of politics. Should she go to? Oh, look at you trying to bring Shelly Pingree in. She was your seatmate. You should be nicer to her now, buddy. That's right. She was my seatmate in the main Senate. That's true. All right, let's move on. All right, Phil, there's been a homeless encampment outside Portland City Hall, as you know, for two weeks now with no leadership attempting to try to resolve the issue that created the situation. Phil, how could this have been avoided in the first place? And if you were the current mayor of Portland, a job I know you covet every day, <laughs> what would you do about it now? Well, uh, I have to uh, say that this was over before it began. When this uh, encampment started to take shape, they put it should have put an end to it right then and there. That is not the uh, uh, use of city hall property. Any other in, uh, organization couldn't do what they're doing, but now that they have uh, taken root, pardon the expression, I don't know what the city's going to do short of, of literally forcing them off the property. What I would have done is at first they didn't have a permit to do this. I wouldn't have let it uh, establish itself in the first place. And just as you did when you were mayor of the city of Portland, you used the Portland Exposition Building as a place to uh, welcome refugees. That's a suitable site for the people who are finding themselves uh, homeless, uh, but it, it's, it's too late. They're now in control, City Hall isn't. You gotta understand, this is not simply about people who are uh, sleeping on the steps of City Hall because they have nowhere else to sleep. They're sleeping outside, they could sleep in a lot of places. The thing they don't have is a house or a roof over their head. This is a protest. This is the homeless community. This is housing advocates finally stepping up in a way and saying, you know what, City Hall, we cannot take it anymore. I have said over and over again, my greatest failure as mayor is that I was not able to convince the city council to do more about housing. I remember when I first got there and I talked about housing, the housing situation is a crisis. The chair of the housing committee you know, tried to slap me down and say, well, that word's a little bit too strong. Well, how does it look now, right? Uh, we are talking about a situation where people simply can't find a place to live. 1,200 people, 1,200 families on the Portland Housing Authority waiting list looking for a place to live in Portland. You want to solve this crisis, build some housing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly one of the solutions, Ethan, but you know as well as I, getting through the bureaucracy at City Hall in Portland is going to take months, if not six, and then to build something, we're, we're talking 24 months away. These people need uh, a solution today. And to me, there is there is ample evidence, and I, I don't say this uh, with a callous heart, but it's clear to me that people uh, are homeless for reasons that are the root cause of why they're in front of City Hall today, which is either substance abuse or drugs or other forms of, uh, of um, you know, influences on, on their life that need to be part of the solution. I don't see anyone stepping forward and talking about why are these people homeless in the first place? Do they need to be hospitalized? Do they need to be in a, a rehab facility, uh, oh, et cetera? Sure. sure, I mean, all those things are real, and of course we have to deal with those things, but here what you could do right away, freeze evictions through the end of the year, we're in a pandemic, ban discrimination against people with housing vouchers. There are people in our shelters that could pay rent right now that landlords refuse to rent to. Uh, 
immediately stop the conversations about moving the shelter to the outskirts of the city of Portland. If you wanna actually take steps to be able to make sure that the homeless can get a place to live, there are things you can do. And, and shutting down city hall also, just a very cynical attempt to try to make the protesters, divide the protesters against the public, but it's not working. Okay, Ethan, the state budget projections look to be about 1.4 billion, that's 1.4 billion in the red over the next three years due to the pandemic. And local revenue looks to be about 124 million underwater this year alone. Put your appropriations hat on, Ethan. How does Janet Mills get the state out of this one? Tax increases, cuts to services, or does she just print money? Well, remember, you were the one that served on appropriations. I served on taxation because, you know, I love taxation, brother. You uh, do. <laughs> but appropriations, look, uh, when you look at taxation, that is actually where we're going to need to start on this. You and I have both been there during good times and bad times. And when you have these kind of deficits, you have to try to figure out how to make sure to protect Maine's economy. First thing the legislature should do, repeal the LePage tax cuts for the wealthy. Those tax cuts, uh, we are losing tens of millions of dollars a year that could easily go into trying to close the gap uh, for this. And what you have to make sure is you are making cuts. And of course, some cuts will have to happen is don't cut those services that people need and don't cut investments into our economy. If you need to cut some stuff around the edges, fine. But the stuff that are investments in our economy that help create jobs, I'm talking education, I'm talking healthcare, you know, the kind of things that are imperative for folks, can't cut those and you got to make sure that you're investing in our economy as well. Well, I see it very differently, Strim. The fact is that for Maine families who have been struggling to get by with just the uh, additional uh, unemployment and the uh, federal money, uh, they've learned that they can't go out to eat as much. They can't, they can't uh, um, spend leisurely. They're focused on paying their bills. And they need to see their government doing the same thing. For the government to say, oh, we're going to trim around the edges, but let's go raise all these taxes is going to be counterproductive. I promise you, Maine people are not going to put up with that sort of economic solution. And the governor should have been addressing this months ago. We knew that the sales tax and gasoline tax and tourism tax revenue was going to be way off. She should have gotten out in front of it. And now the legislature is going to have to come in and, and, and do their job. And particularly for Sarah Gideon, this is going to put her in a very difficult position as she tries to unseat Susan Collins while she implements tax increases, as you suggest. Yeah, but look, what I'm talking about is the taxes on the wealthy. The, ta the wealthy got a huge tax break while LePage was governor. Uh, we saw what the impact was of that. Fine. It happened while times were good. Times are not good anymore. And I'm sorry, folks, if you're making $200,000 a year, you may have to contribute just a little bit more. If you're making a million bucks a year, you may have to contribute a little bit more. But you know as well as I do, Phil, they're $125 million at the local level. I don't know what the Yarmouth budget looks like right now, but there's going to be some serious cuts in Portland if we don't get additional revenue from the state somehow or another, or property taxes, which of course are some of the most regressive are going to hurt families a lot worse if those have to go up. So the state's got to step up, Phil. They have to. So to your point, if they step up, it's tens of millions of dollars in new revenues. 
and the budget is out of whack 1.4 billion. We have got fundamental restructuring to get done and it should have been done months ago. All right, buddy, let's do a little uh, love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. You ready? I am. All right. First up, Donald Trump tweets a little love for Dale Crafts, said he would be a tremendous congressman. That's not a very, I'm not a good at impression, so that was not my best Donald Trump. <laughs> no, you're not. But he, he said, uh, Donald Trump said he'd be a tremendous congressman who loves the vets and the military. I guess as long as the vet you're talking about isn't Jared Golden, of course. Let's say you feel you love it, you hate it, or wake me when it's over. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That tweet uh, went to everybody who was already going to vote for Dale Crafts. It, uh, wake me up when it's over. Okay, Strim. Governor Mills has doubled the rental assistance program from $500 to $1,000 and made it available for three months. However, landlords can now start evicting people for failure to pay. Mr. Mayor, love it, hate it, or wake me up when it's over. Oh, I wish you hadn't said the second part of that sentence. If you just mentioned about doubling the uh, rental relief, I would have said love it. But this thing about allowing landlords to still evict people, such a bad idea in a pandemic. And uh, so the rental assistance is great, but Landlord might simply say, even though you could pay it, I'm going to get you out because I want to try to get somebody else in. So I'm not liking that part for sure. Susan Collins is being called out because most of the people giving testimonials in her ads are either Republican operatives or they have a direct connection to her staff. Did they call you to be in one of these ads, Phil? Is she really unable to find any regular Mainers to say they still like her, Phil? Love it, hate it, or you're going to take another nap? I'm going to take another nap. I don't think people care who the face is. It's the message and how it's delivered. And, you know, these are very professionally scripted by people who are experts in sound and uh, editing and video. These are all orchestrated. Every single one of them, doesn't matter which side of the aisle or what the message is, wake me up when it's over. Maine Republicans want Janet Mills to lift restrictions on Massachusetts and Rhode Island residents who want to come to Maine in order to salvage what's left of Maine's tourism season. Senator, you loving this, hating it, or want to be woken up when it's over? Uh, look, I'm hating this, uh, although certainly I want to be woken up when COVID is over, but uh, Republicans shouldn't be pitting this. Look, health is number one here. You can't be having folks coming in from hot spots. They People can still come. They just got to get the test. They got to do all the things that they're supposed to do. Be extra careful. If you're coming in here from a hot spot, absolutely make sure you take extra precautions. Those need to be there. You don't have to have those from other places. So, Sorry, last but not least, Phil, Portland put a ban on facial surveillance into law to keep Big Brother from being able to watch our every move and accidentally pin a crime on one of us. Phil? You loving it? You hating it? Or wake me when it's over? Uh, I actually uh, love this. I don't think it's the role of the government to surveil our, you know, activities in uh, an effort to play gotcha with uh, uh, a crime. If you've committed a crime, they'll they have the resources to uh, to figure it out. It shouldn't be a blanket uh, facial recognition camera 
literally on every street corner. I'm hating this. All right. You and me. All right, man. Last week we started a new segment called Nailed It or Failed It, where Phil was on the hot seat for half a dozen predictions. This week, Schoolsy is going to tell us how Phil did. Schoolsy, are you there? I am. If my recollection is better than Joe Biden's, I think I did pretty well. All right. We're going to find out, Schoolsy. So first one was, uh, let's see. Yes or no, in the next week, Augusta Republicans will vote to allow the legislature to come back into session. Phil said no. Jeff, did he nail it or did he fail it? Nailed it. <laughs> nice job. All right. Yes or no, in the next week, Susan Collins will vote to restore the $600 unemployment benefit. Phil said no. Schoolsy, did he nail it or fail it? Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Two for two, buddy. Yes or no, in the next week, Congress will pass a new stimulus package that is closer to the House version of three children than three trillion than the Senate version of one trillion. Phil, again, being a good Republican, said no. Schoolsy, did he nail it or did he fail it? Nailed it. Nailed it. All right. And again, yes or no, in the next week, Judith Shelton will be confirmed to the Federal Reserve Board. Phil said yes. Schoolsy, did he nail it or fail it? Failed it. Oh, your first failure. But you know what? Uh, to your, uh, you know, benefit of the doubt here, the vote didn't even take place. So you might right. still be able to nail that one down the road. Uh, yes or no, in the next week, Joe Biden, Biden will announce his VP pick. Phil said no. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Nailed it. <laughs> and nailed that one. Good job. Yep, no pick yet. Yes or no, final one. My New York Mets will take the final game against your beloved Red Sox. Phil, with no faith in the home team, said that, yes, my Mets would win. Jeff, we all know what happened there. Did he nail it or fail it? Failed it. <laughs> Even the ones where I'm trying to win, I lose. So, all right, buddy, you got four right and two wrong. Not bad for your first week on the hot seat. All right, you want to throw a few at me this week? You bet I do, and these are going to be easy. You should nail all of these. Here's the first one, yes or no, in the next week, will Joe Biden pick Kamala Harris as his vice presidential running mate? Oh, you know, yes, but I want to say Susan Rice, so I'm going to say no. Yes or no, in the next week, will the union at BIW reach an agreement with management? I'm going to say yes on this one. I feel like uh, things are happening there. Yes or no, in the next week, will Congress pass a new stimulus package that President Trump will sign? Yeah, I think that's going to happen. I think Pelosi and Schumer have got uh, McConnell on his knees, and they're ready to get it done. <laughs> yes or no, in the next week, will the U.S. pass 165,000 COVID-related deaths? Oh, I wish this one wasn't true, buddy, but I have a feeling we're going to get there. We're only about 7,000 away right now. We've been averaging 1,000 a day, so I think we're going to hit it. Yes or no, in the next week, will Governor Mills allow Massachusetts or Rhode Island residents to start entering Maine freely? I'm going to say no, and I hope I'm right. Yes or no, one week from now, will at least three Major League Baseball teams be quarantined and not playing baseball? 
Let me just say, I hope it's the New York Mets is are quarantined and not playing baseball. Other than that, it doesn't matter to me, but I'm going to say, yeah, at least three. The clock has run out. The buzzer is sounding. Okay, Ethan, as we do each week in honor of Maine's bicentennial year, we're going to ask a Maine political trivia question. Here is last week's question. Which governor of Maine served for the longest period? And remember, this was both consecutive and in length. You know, when you said the longest serving governor had done it in consecutive years, I kind of figured it had to be modern since before 1957, terms were only two years, and no one in their right mind was going to run for that office four times in a row. So I figured it had to be a modern governor. Is that right? You are right. It, it is a modern-day governor, although not some of us, either one of us served with. We both know this person individually. You probably better than me. It's none other than our 70th governor, Governor Joseph Brennan. Uh, he actually is someone that might have run four times in a row, if he could have. <laughs> actually, he ran five times, but only oh. won twice. Interestingly, the reason he holds the title of longest serving is simply because of the calendar. And he only holds that record by one day. It just so happened that the first Tuesday he was sworn in on was early in the month of January, and the first Tuesday of his predecessor was sworn in uh, on, uh, who was my dear friend, actually, Governor John McKernan, was on the last possible first Tuesday the calendar would allow, which was January 7th. So it sounds like your buddy Jock, uh, he kind of got the short shrift. He got sworn in so late in January, probably didn't get those few extra days. But you know him well. He was probably ready to get out of that place anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Who was the first woman and who was the first African-American to serve in the Maine legislature? Yeah, I definitely know the second one, the second part of that question. Uh, and they aren't the same person for sure. Uh, I know him. I'm sure you know him, too. He's still around today. So, Yep. I served with him, actually. Did you really? All right. Yeah. Excellent. Man, you really yep. do go back. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, you know, the fact that he came in, that he's somebody that even you served with, um, you know, that tells us uh, how how long it took Maine really to get with the program, unfortunately, because, you know, for somebody to uh, an African-American to have not have been in the legislature until one of us was there. Boy, that's a lot of history where we were excluding people. OK, Donald, tell us how we did. And you are fake news. You are fake news. <laughs> See right, you next buddy. week, folks. Thanks, man.